welcome to Interdisciplinary. I'm Cal Cates, and I am so excited today to have with me not Kathy Ryan. And not Kathy Ryan. So I have two people who are not Kathy Ryan. And um, <laughs> I mean, no one should have to be Kathy Ryan, but Kathy Ryan. But you'll meet these very exciting people very shortly, and uh, which is not any reference to either of those people's size. This is Heal Was podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. We are in season four, and it's very exciting to think that we're actually, that that's a thing, that we have had three seasons before this and that you guys are with us and going down the road together. That also means that we are running our contest, leave us a review, and basically you're going to cash in. Just trust me. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You're going to get to talk to cool people, learn cool things, or maybe you'll get a mug or maybe you'll get a t-shirt. It's totally up to you. Leave a review. And if we read it on the show, you will be, you'll be covered in riches. That's all I can say. So without further ado, uh, I want to uh, launch today's festivities with our pun. I think you guys are really going to like this. Um, what kind of sofas do anti-racists have? Uh, I don't know. Intersectionals. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. You're welcome. Oh, God. I think that took one of my eyes. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't take credit. I have to thank our good friend, Sakina Irizari, who um, texted that to me. Um, yeah, often I get, um, Star Trek puns from her, but, uh, that was, that was definitely one I didn't want to keep to myself. So, <laughs> so, uh, I am joined today by, uh, the, the, the heal well machine, really like the people who do the work that makes heal well, the things that maybe you think it is. And, uh, so I've Carrie Jordan, our operations director and Rebecca Sturgeon, our education director, and we're going to do a little, uh, walk down memory lane, if you will, um, reviewing the exciting experience that was Healwell's first ever virtual conference, Just Care, Social Justice and Healthcare. So welcome to the show, my friends. Thanks. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I will say, as having never run a conference before, and let's be really clear, I didn't run a conference. I just attended <laughs> a conference that was run by people who did a really good job running it. Um, it went pretty well. Like logistically, I think it was smooth. Yeah, yeah, it was a sort of shockingly so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree. There were there were there was things, but nothing. Yeah, nothing bad. You know, people always say that, like when when a wedding looks like it went well, when you hear the stories later, you hear about all the madness that you know, like things got put together with gum and got sewed up in the bathroom and whatever. But I don't even think we had any of like those sorts of things. We had a couple, like you know, like with the the closed captioning and such, but mostly pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think that you know the secret is that is how we operate here, holding things together with gum and hurting <laughs> cats, and so you know. <laughs> It wasn't noteworthy when those things happened. We were were ready. It's like we had all the sandbags up and we're ready for a flood. And then it was just a stream. And we're like, really? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go swimming. (laughs) Yes. So I feel like there's so many ways we could go because I really found each of our presenters, uh, you know, you just, when you're watching a conference online, you snooze through some of it at least. 
But I felt like all of our presenters and panels, like I really, I heard things I'd never heard before, heard them in ways I'd never heard them before. And I'm curious what, what stood out for you guys? It's well, it, it, this is like the pick your favorite child question for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> but I mean, really, um, Sirius Bonner was one of my very favorites. Um, not only because the topic on which she was speaking, which was um, adding fatness to your intersectional, in, intersectional lens and um, weight bias, um, is one that is that I am very involved in myself. Um, but she it was just so clear and so honest and, and um, really open about her own experiences moving the way that she moves through the world um, and kind of bringing forth that, no, you have to, I think bringing forth what Chase Anderson had said the day before that, you know, there are many aspects to a person's identity and um, any one of those could get caught up in the system in a way that is painful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say for me it wasn't so much a speaker or a panel that was really exciting but the way that it wasn't boring at all. It wasn't dry at all and everybody really brought that vulnerability and that lived experience to their presentation in a way that I felt like was really refreshing. Um and you know, I think Chase Anderson really kicked it off for us with his keynote is called the impact of identity. And really what he talked about um, among other things was the importance of really being who you actually are as a provider and bringing your real self um, to, to the bedside, to wherever it is that you're working as a healthcare provider. And I think that that's something we don't often see. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we didn't, I don't think we got to go into this as deeply during the conference, but something that sort of came up was this, this thing about how seeing each other and prioritizing basic rights and respect has become this political statement. And that, you know, it's really, um, I was doing a class recently about pronouns and kind of how that all functions in, in culture and that as providers, I've heard providers who are cisgendered or straight will say, you know, I don't want to ask all my patients what their pronouns are, or I don't want to open every exam by saying, you know, this is my name and these are my pronouns. Because if you use quote normal pronouns, you're not going to know what that is and it's going to make you uncomfortable. And I don't want them to, you know, assume that I'm like pushing an agenda or whatever. And, and I, I feel like all of our speakers come from this perspective of, the agenda is seeing each other. So if you're embarrassed and, and worried about pushing that agenda, maybe do some more work about what story you think you're telling and, and where is the greatest discomfort? You know, if you're, you're a person who is living in a relatively privileged prism and spectrum has a few moments of discomfort because you ask what their pronouns are and they don't even know what that means, that pales in comparison to the discomfort experienced by people who have been historically excluded and who are afraid to mention that their pronouns might not be what you expect and just sort of shrink as their exam or whatever encounter they're in continues. I loved that so many of our presenters, I think everybody was a skilled presenter, but 
when we got to the Q&A and they got to just be who they are and like answer the questions that people fired at them, you could just see them sort of light up and any sense of like nervousness about presenting or like, you know, being on screen, like went away. And it was like, you were just talking to them directly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved how that came through because um, Carrie and I had, you know, communications with the presenters before the conference, getting all this set up, getting all the logistics in the background and I was just really delighted that the people, you know, when you actually got to see the people in real time, you know, things don't come through email, but just how warm and they all were and how like up for it they were for all the, the questions and the, the concerns and the, the, you know, wanting to understand of the people who came to the conference as well. Yeah. yeah. And how excited they were by each other's work, you know, particularly you saw that on the panels, uh, I feel like, um, you know, I, I think of um, Michaela Schreckenberg, who was like, oh, my gosh, I work in public health, but it's so cool to talk to clinicians and like, see where the work that I'm doing is like, actually impacting clinical work and how their work is impacting public policy. And uh, yeah, it was definitely like people just I love to see people who love what they do. And I feel like we just had a conference filled with people who were just really, really passionate about caring for other humans. Yeah. And that no matter what the different presenters did, that is what they do is they care for other humans and want to make it more commonplace that we all care for other humans and, and just really point out the ways that we're missing those opportunities. Some of them are simple. Some of them are much more complicated, but that if we want to, we could do that all the time whether we're in our treatment rooms or exam rooms, wherever we are, that there are people who need our care everywhere. I love too. I, I think this particularly struck me when we talked with Mustafa Sabor, the um, you know, director of pre-release services for offender aid and restoration. And he shared about his 17 year experience of incarceration and, and having gone in and out of the system and that it wasn't 17 continuous years, but that there were various interactions with different types of facilities and that, you know, at first he sort of seemed almost hesitant to share, but not from like a, he wasn't ashamed or like, you know, trying to be private. I think he really didn't believe that we wanted to hear. And then, you know, the questions came and, and he just really, again, like sort of opened up and it was just like, we were just talking about like, what is it like to be a person in this really terrible system? And, and that, you know, at the end that he really, he echoed what, again, many of the other presenters said that people want to tell their stories, but they want to tell them to a listening audience, to a, a person or people who are actually interested in demonstrating just, I just want to know. I'm not going to weaponize this information. I'm not trying to pigeonhole you. I just, this is an experience that I have never had. And that the only way, the best way I can even learn somewhat about it is for you to share with me in as vulnerable a way as I can make possible. Yeah, that was such a beautiful like presentation, such a beautiful conversation to watch. Um, and not only because, it, you know, knowing knowing kind of what led up to that actually mm -hmm. happening, um, but just to see Mustafa Sabor get more and more comfortable um, in it, it, being in a place where his experience was welcomed. Like the that that demonstration of the absolute power of something that seems so simple to just welcome. Um, and it came through, I think, to the audience as well, because one of the things that's happening now in the post-conference is um, 
there's some some little surveys that some people are completing just to get information. And, and um, his presentation is one of the ones that consistently comes up, like, have this guy back. We want to hear more from him. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, I feel like so humbled that all of the presenters really were willing to share such vulnerability and, and to share, like you're saying, Cal, from a place of like, here's what it's like to be me. And here's what my experiences have been. And that, uh, you know, I feel like really grateful because, you know, we talk a lot about how those of us with embedded privilege um, can't go around asking everybody in, who's been historically marginalized to educate us. And so I kept thinking over and over again over the course of two days, like just being that I was overwhelmed with gratitude for these people who are so willing to share such intimate details of their experiences and um, in healthcare. I mean, Ian Watlington told us about his colonoscopy, like right off the bat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and I felt like I felt the shift happen inside me during the conference that really, I feel like it's so easy to feel overwhelmed because I think we did a, a, a we assembled, you guys assembled an incredible lineup of people from very different aspects that still overlapped. And that as you listen to Chase Anderson talking about, you know, being marginalized as a gay physician and really actually now bringing his gayness and all of his everythingness to his patients and his practice. And then, you know, Mustafa talking about incarceration and Marianne Adams and, and Angela Davis and her ukulele, which we'll have to come back to. Um, ah. And just that, that there was this, um, yeah, I don't, I, it's, I, I felt less overwhelmed and more like, wow, you could start anywhere. Like there is not a place where things are going well. <laughs> and you can feel super sad and heartbroken about that. Or you can be like, wow, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to fight for better food in the incarceration system? Do I want to fight for, you know, visibility for mature lesbians, as Marion Adams calls them? Do I want to work with pediatric? Like anything I want, there is a place for me to get involved in all of that. And that there was also that conversation throughout in small ways about saviorism and about the importance of like, so you see a need, don't just go running headlong in there trying to fix everything. Cause like these are long established, complicated problems that you have to learn about before you can be valuable in your advocacy, but don't let that stop you. Well, and I think also along with that, um, there's a question that came up with, I think with the, the Ian and Teresa and Kelly, the dis disability panel, um, like the idea of the work that you do to support one group of people actually helps lots of people. Um, like we were talking specifically about access and, and making your spaces accessible and how earlier Sirius Bonner had talked about things about, you know, what do your chairs look like? Could a larger body person fit in your chairs? Can they make it through your hallway? And, and those kinds of that kind of attention will also help people who use wheelchairs, you know, or people who have mobility um, challenges. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I appreciated the conversation that I think it was with Marianne that we talked about um, making your treatment space welcoming and, and the ways that, I mean, I think particularly as massage therapists, I think as physicians, there's not as much sort of freedom. Um, and, in, and in other types of practice, your office maybe belongs to other people or it's part of a bigger place where, um, 
you know, it, it feels more sterile, but as massage therapists and maybe acupuncturists and some other type of integrative providers, our space is often, we make it a reflection of ourselves, not noticing that that might not be welcoming to other people. And that, you know, we explored a little bit that conversation about, um, cultural appropriation, because, you know, Marianne Adams said, like, if I come into your office, and I see that you have a kinte cloth on your wall, I I might feel more welcome, or at least like have a sense that you recognize that not everybody's white. And she's like, you know, don't cover all of the walls in your <laughs> office with that, you know, <laughs> unless like, if you were raised in that culture or whatever, but that it is okay to signal openness to things that you'd like to know more about, without sort of putting them out there and saying like, well, this is me, I'm part African, I'm, you know, maybe I'm really into Eastern, whatever that I think we sort of jump into this story about other cultures. And and we we cherry pick the things that we like about those other cultures without fully understanding the history. And one of the women who was attending the conference posted a question in the Q&A about having learned an indigenous healing technique and having never felt comfortable using it because even, you know, it was taught to her by someone who had learned it from an indigenous person who had received it through the oral tradition, but it still just didn't feel okay to her to use it. And, and these feel like complicated questions. And, you know, I think that even people from those communities have different opinions about whether or not it's okay for us to, you know, as people who are not from whatever the community is, we might be borrowing um, so it's hard to know as a, as a white provider, for instance, you know, these things work, but I don't want to steal part of something that's actually part of a bigger system. And, and how do I respectfully incorporate other traditions without co-opting them? Well, I think that's really something that came up again, also at the conference and that, that really is sort of the <clears throat> the answer, which is simple, but not easy, which is exactly that, that you're incorporating versus co-opting. And, and and how do you really, I mean, everything, all of my experiences as a human have informed what I am like as a care provider. Uh, and so that's just true. <laughs> and that's going to be true for everyone. But how do I really metabolize those as part of me versus, you know, now I have this yogic wisdom or this, you know, <laughs> this, this Ayurveda tradition, right, that really isn't mine. And that I'm sort of, as you said, cherry picking, I think there's a difference between sort of making a quilt of the things that have influenced you and that you've learned versus, um, yeah, just sort of pretending that, you know, covering yourself in somebody else's blanket. It's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't work but you know what I mean <laughs> and then you lost me no. <laughs> not at all I also really uh, thought that in addition to you can sort of start anywhere with any group of people or with any sort of topic that you feel passionately about uh, because of the we started on day one with the um, conversation with um, Dr. Frank Carter and Reverend Cynthia Carter Dr. Frank Clark and, and Reverend Cynthia Carter very a lot about uh, community. And then again, we kept hearing about that over and over again uh, throughout that even in your church, in, in your backyard at the, the, what does your playground look like that all of these things that we just sort of walk by in our everyday life that we don't think of as 
healthcare per se really pay, play a huge role in healthcare and how people access or don't access it and um, what their quality of life is like. Yeah, I feel like another sort of like layer was pulled back for me in the pediatric panel because they were talking about um, Michaela Schenkelberg's work where she was talking about looking at communities of color and participation in organized sports. And that, you know, it's another place where we, it's very clearly a sort of white middle upper class lens. You know, the way these sports are organized, what they cost, the assumptions about family structures and the amount of free time, that all of these different factors that we don't really think of as health influence the level of participation based basically based across class lines. Um, and that long term, that affects who is living with chronic and serious illness in their 40s, 50s, you know, and that it is the structure of school and extracurricular activities that make kids more or less likely to be involved. And obviously, sports aren't for all kids. But even just extracurricular activities, I suspect it would extend to that, that when she looked at what accounted for the markedly lower levels of participation, it was often other time commitments or the expense or things that, you know, we don't, I think in our, in our sort of white standard lens, we don't consider, we think, oh, I guess kids just aren't that interested in insert activity. But when you just look slightly deeper, you're like, oh, here's another thing that we have to address and like reconfigure. I loved uh, Dr. J pop's uh, assertion that play is a inalienable human right for yeah. all children. And again, I think that's, it's not just about sport, but they talked a lot during the pediatric panel. And I kept thinking about it even during the panels that were really talking more about adults about like access to joy um, mm-hmm. in your body is, mm-hmm. is something that, that isn't available to a lot of people. Um, and, and that again, can start certainly can be certainly influenced at a young age. How, how do you feel in, about and in your own body? Yeah, I think that was a really profound through line and um, how deeply that like affects not just people's access to healthcare. Because we weren't, I mean, the title was about social justice and healthcare, but we weren't just talking about healthcare. We were talking about humanity. Yeah. And, um, you know, when when is your humanity recognized and when is it not? Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like that's a a big point of disconnect, um, and that per- perhaps is um, uniquely problematic within like the the family of caregivers who choose to be caregivers as a profession. That we have an assumption about who we are that makes it hard for us to see the fact that there are people we don't see as entirely human. That you know, because we've decided to be doctors, nurses, massage therapists, talk therapists, whatever, that we are better than your average person at, at not doing that. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I feel like, um, it, it just kept coming back to me as the different groups spoke, just the, the, the quote unquote, little ways that we perpetuate marginalization and that we don't quite see each other. And, we were just, we just watched this documentary called Trans Dudes with Lady Cancer, um, which I hope gets much wider circulation. But it was, you know, it's so basic, but it's not because it's like phobias we wish we didn't have or points of discomfort we wish we didn't have. Like one of the um, people in this documentary had ovarian cancer 
and but was male presenting, had gone through um, gender confirmation surgery and transition, and but had a palpable tumor in their abdomen, and went to a couple of sort of more mainstream providers who felt all around it and said they couldn't feel anything. And then he finally decided to go to a naturopath who like put her hand on it and was like, wow, there is something here and we need to get this looked at right away. And, you know, I think that they did an even handed job of saying like, there's obviously and definitely transphobia as part of this and just like not wanting to touch the body of a trans person. But there's also this like, we're people who don't want to cause other people pain or harm. And so if you have a mass in your abdomen, if I push on it, it's going to be uncomfortable. And just this whole idea of your abdomen being exposed and me touching it, like, and that it connects back to like our discomfort with touching each other, our discomfort with sex. Like we're uncomfortable about so many things that make it hard for us to be good care providers. And having chosen to be a care provider doesn't make me immune to all those things. Right. Well, I think and also our discomfort with um, ability. And um, if, if you all will indulge me in a, in a like post-conference ripple story. Yes. I, <laughs> so a couple of days ago, I um, went to the hospital to massage this person who I've been working with um, who had fallen and broken his back. And um, he's an older gentleman, has been in the hospital for about a month um, and is slowly transitioning to rehab, et cetera, et cetera, and also has multiple other health problems. And we were talking about the physical therapy that he's doing and what the goal, what his goals are in physical therapy. And he said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to walk anymore. And like our reaction, I think because there is this bias towards ability or able-bodiedness or, you know, being able to walkness or whatever you want to call it, um, is like, no, that's not your goal. That's that that can't be your goal. How can that possibly be your goal? But he said after that, so I have this benign brain tumor and where it is affects my balance. I can't feel my feet at all. And I just think I've got this, you know, fancy wheelchair that Medicare helped me buy. So I think it's just um, a better choice for me to not have that be my goal. I think that's just safer for the rest of my life. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't, we do have this narrow idea of what um, healed means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. I love that. Yeah. And I definitely could, I could feel in myself the same thing. And uh, it makes me think of this idea, you know, we talk about a lot about, the romanticizing of the fight Mm -hmm. against illness or aging or any Mm -hmm. number of totally normal natural things that happen to the human body. Um, And it does it like the, the the interesting stories we tell about like, what is, what is giving up mean? Um, I could definitely feel that in me. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think having had the experience of not only planning this conference, but also attending it um, and, and really um, listening to, to the people who are speaking. I, it, for me personally, it helped me in that moment to, to not resist what was being offered. Yeah. 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 And just how many providers have said to that person, oh, don't talk like that. Right. You know, that's, that's not, you know, we're, we're going to get you there. And he's like, you're not listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to get me. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 I I so enjoyed our conversation with um, Dr. Gail Dinesh Chacon, and I, I don't even know exactly what to say about what she shared with us. I mean, I, I will say for myself, I have I've had very little exposure to um, any First Nations, Native American people. Um, and just to hear her talk about the importance of ancestry and, and even the way they start their meetings, that even, you know, if it takes an hour or two to go through everyone's ancestry before you begin your work together, then that's what you do, because then you know who you're talking to and sort of who's in the room. And just the, you know, it is a place inside me where I go, oh, white people never go for that. Like, you know, I mean, even just to say like, hi, how's it going? Feels like we're wasting time, right? And everything has to happen so quickly. Um, but also just to to consider the this weird tension of sovereignty, not sovereignty, uh, you know, within the, the tribes and the way that they interact with the U.S. government and how that impacts healthcare and, um, and, and how we've, how we as the invaders, basically the white people have come in and made it so that it is hard to be a healthy person as a native American. And, it's not because native American people are not healthy. Like we created a system where, you know, if there, I think at one point she talked about 70% unemployment and, you know, it's very easy if you don't want to think about it to go, Oh, well, you know, people are lazy or, you know, if they just go out and get a job and it's like, well, we changed the whole structure of their society. And there, this is again, a, a much more complicated issue than just people not wanting to work. And, how many of us are are interested enough to sort of peel those layers back and be like, so what is this really about? Because this is another broken, it's another broken trust, another broken relationship, but it's resulting in shorter lives and, and, and effects that impact all of us. I think there's something in the, the way that, that uh, she talked about the, bringing the ancestors in and bringing the community into the room. I think that there's, there's something um, that needs to be learned from that and like applied across um, people whose job it is to care for other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cause you, you don't come into the room in just your body. I mean, you come in in your body, but you also come in in your experiences and your traumas and your history and, you know, whatever you feel about the science of this, your epigenetics and all of that. Um, and that's something that that I, I think can be learned not only from Native American cultures, but there are some like Appalachian cultures, some um, other cultures that, that really understand that you don't arrive here alone. Hmm. Um, yeah. What if we were able to really notice what we bring into a room when we enter? Right. Well, and how much shedding has to happen to even do that? Because there's just such a story, right, about how I'm not defined by the traumas I've experienced. And, you know, I'm not my ancestors. And or at least in white culture, that's sort of where we come from. We have this rugged individualism and this story that like I'm self-made. And I'll, yeah. I'll pick the parts of my family story that support my story that I got here by hard work, etc. Um, but that the idea that you would bring in 
Um, and I think it was when Gail was on the podcast and talked with us a little bit that she was saying like, you don't leave out the relatives who, you know, have maybe not behaved so well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not actually like, you know, the star list. It's these are the people to whom I am related. This is where I came from. And how much um, shame and disillusionment would we have to work through to really be able to just bring everybody and all of that history to the table? And not that you show up and you actually lay out your traumas, but that you could come with an awareness that all of that has shaped you and that there's no such thing as self-made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if we could give up the idea of self-made, we'd be taking a huge step forward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want this to be like the the longest trailer ever where you see all the good parts before you get to the movie theater. Um, <laughs> I think we hit on some good highlights. Um, in terms of, you know, what what was your biggest takeaway um, for each of you? Or what do you, what, what makes you like want to go up to people and be like, if you didn't go to this conference, you should go because this is why. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was really just the, Oh, I don't know how to say this without sounding all woo. Um, but how similar it was and how, what everybody was asking was shut up, (laughs) be be genuinely curious about the person in front of you. Like be humble about what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it just, it felt like, and not that that's a massive revelation, but I guess it is a massive revelation because, I, I feel like that's a thing I would have told you that I knew, of course, before this conference, but it was just really powerful to me to have that over and over again it, from people who appeared so incredibly different in their background and experience that, that that was just over and over again, the thread. Yeah. Um, for me, it came out of a, a story that, that Chase um, Anderson told in his presentation that, that like just, was so touching to me about how someone supported him when he had to stand up for himself and that the simple act of support was just holding his hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And that still, that, that brings tears to my eyes because of the, the just profound simplicity of it. But the, the idea behind that, which is just to show up for each other in whatever way you can and to, to show each other, that you're, you're up for it. You are up for the conversation. Um, I think that's, that's what I'm keeping with me. Yeah. Yeah, That was one of the notes I I had made during the conference was that so many of the speakers in their own way and specifically said, I'm here for it, whatever it is, I'm here for it. And that, um, and I was so deeply humbled, like you said, Carrie, I mean, a couple of our presenters received questions from the gallery that directly challenged information that they had shared or said like, why didn't you address this? And there was no backpedaling. There was no defensiveness. There was like, huh, I'd never considered that. Or wow, like, you know, send me a link or I'd love to talk more about that. And that kind of modeling, I feel like that is like 22nd century leadership. Like that is how we bring each other forward as we say, wow, like, even as a subject matter expert on whatever this thing might be, I hadn't heard that perspective. And the fact that I haven't heard it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means I have to go look it up now and see, like, this is a thing that I might need to be sharing going forward. 
Um, and man, again, just like letting go of our self-made stories, if we could, when we are introduced with new information, if we could be like, huh, that's new information. And just like, take a beat. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll say that my, my also, my little sub takeaway from this as an introvert um, is that I, I was so excited by how many of our speakers were people that Rebecca and I just stalked on social media. We just sent like little fan letters, like, I love yeah. you. Will you come and talk? And they were like, sure. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and they were and so generous. And Chase, who were on the West Coast, were like, oh, just happy to get up. I mean, to get up at five something, to be ready to be live and like engaging with people at 6 a.m. on the East Coast. Like, I just, and, and they were, there was no sense of like, oh, I guess I'll do it. They were like, sure. Like, I wouldn't miss the chance because we gave them the opportunity to record it so they didn't have to be there live. And they were both like, why would I do that? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's that's part of being there for it. I feel like you you can yeah. things happen differently when we interact in a live way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I did not feel bad at all about this quote unquote losing my weekend. Um, <laughs> it was an incredible experience. And for those of you who didn't attend but wanted to, or now that you've heard us talk about how amazing it was, are like, oh, I missed it. But you didn't miss it because Carrie and Rebecca are going to tell you right now how you can still see it. Yes. Um, the the videos of all the presentations are live with closed captionings um, in the Healwell community. So if you're a member of the Healwell community, you can uh, go ahead and purchase that. If you're not, come and join the community because that's where we're talking about all this stuff. Yeah. You definitely want to be there. Yeah. And people can still get CEs, right? Even if they... Yes, yes. Okay. Um, the instructions to request CEs are in the community. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you see so, where we're going with this? Do you yeah. See? Yeah, no. you see? Exactly. Well, and, and you know, at the risk of, I mean, obviously, um, we're chasing your ambulance here, but um, when you when you engage with the conference materials, you'll want other people to talk with about what you learned and what you saw and what left you feeling uncomfortable. And that's what's happening in the community right now. So um, you'll be glad that you get to view them in that little container because there are lots of other people who are like just wondering where they fit and how they fit. And it's just a beautiful place in there. So come join us. We'll uh, put the links in the show notes and yes, yeah, it was awesome. If you were there, thanks. If you weren't, we hope you'll come check it out. Carrie and Rebecca, thank you for uh, joining me for this uh, conference hot wash. <laughs> Thanks for and letting you. us out of the back room. That's yeah, right. seriously. <laughs> it's so and pretty you in here where the light is. <laughs> I need you guys to know that they're still squinting, but they're going back into their closets now. So um, where all of the dirty work of Healwell infrastructure takes place. Um, Thank you, listener folk, for being with us and uh, and for being with the people that you're with out there in the world. Uh, go check out our season four um, contest by leaving us a review. If we read it on the air, get a mug, a t-shirt, a chat with me and Kathy, a chat with Rebecca Sturgeon and her fellow author, Janet Penny. It'll be awesome. Your life will be better. Our lives will be better. Why wouldn't you do it? Go like us, share us, tell all your friends and fans uh, that you listen to Interdisciplinary, and they should too. And we'll uh, hear you next time. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. 
Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.